welcome to episode 67 of the Tech Done Right podcast, Table XI's podcast about building better software, careers, companies, and communities. I'm Noel Rappin. We are running a brief listener engagement survey. Unlike most of these surveys, this has nothing to do with advertising. We're just trying to learn a little bit more about you and what kind of shows and guests you like so that we can do more of them and make this podcast even better. You can fill out the survey at bit.ly slash survey, all one word, and we'll send you some Tech Done Right stickers, and you'll have a chance to win a deck of our meeting inclusion cards. That's bit.ly slash survey. Thanks. If you like Tech Done Right, keep an eye out for our new podcast, Meetings Done Right. Meetings Done Right is a 12-episode podcast with communication and culture experts all focused on how to improve your meetings using the new TableXI Inclusion Meeting Deck and other tips and techniques from our experts. For more information about the podcast and to learn how to buy a meeting deck of your own, go to meetingsdoneright.co or search for Meetings Done Right wherever you listen to podcasts. This week, we have Alex Peterson of Polco and Abi Namani of Ethos Labs. They're both involved in various uses of technology to increase civic engagement. And we talk about how technology can improve the public sector and why technologists should be interested in public sector work. Alex, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Alex. I'm the co-founder of Polco. Uh, We're a civic engagement and online survey tool that's used by cities to get input and feedback from verified residents of their communities. And we also have Abi Namani. Abi, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hey, I'm Abby. Um, nice to meet you guys and nice to hang out. I've uh, run a company called Code for America in the past, which helps cities work better with technology. Ran the city of Los Angeles is technology, city of Sacramento is technology, and now I run a company called Ethos Labs that helps lots of different cities work with different companies to work better. So the topic for this week is we're, we're, we're talking about technology, and I guess for lack of a better term, civics or civic engagement. You both work in this. What drew you to this part of the technology world? Like, What do you feel like technology has to offer our civic and political engagement? So I'll say two things about that. So one, I think there's like a yearning for technologists to do something that matters, right? To do something that like really helps people and really changes the way that their lives work. And that's what I think drives a lot of the interest in this space. Yeah, I, I think you're definitely right. And I think that there's kind of a, a commensurate sense on the, the other side of the, the market, you know, among cities and, and other government and, and civic organizations that it's just a very underserved part of our society when it comes to the technological solutions. Um, you know, I think that it certainly gets a rap for not being innovative, and, and that's probably a fair assessment in most cases. But um, I think in a lot of ways, when there's no innovative tools, it's hard to transform from a, from a non-innovative to a hyper-innovative part of society. What do the tools that you work on do? What do they bring to cities and organizations? What do they enable those organizations to do more effectively than they were doing before? Yeah, so um, you know, almost every city uh, in the country, and when I say city, I, I mean counties and, and even organizations, uh, school districts and things like that, but almost everyone in some way is trying to get input and feedback from, um, from their residents and from their broader community. And you know, that takes the form of in-person meetings traditionally, uh, more recently, Facebook, even traditional surveys. Some cities have a very good and strong social media presence, but it's super rare if they do. So there are sort of the scrambling to try to figure out what people think and want and to do so in a way that's civilized and useful. I know there's a, there's a lot of ways to get a lot of noise through software and through the internet. And then so 
the real question is, how do you at scale get input and feedback in a way that's actually you know, universally useful? And so um, we built Polko as a, as a tool to do that. So it just it serves as a web-based platform for cities to, to post questions and upcoming policy decisions um, and for people to weigh in and, and give their voice and their thoughts um, in a way that um, they know will count and that will be actually used to, to inform and, and drive those decisions. I'll just say, like, a way my friend describes this often is that, so in the past, right, you'd go to the bank and, like, stand in line to go see a teller to go deposit a check or to pull money out, right? I've not gone to a bank in the last, well, ever, (laughs) right? So (laughs) things have changed dramatically, right, in our general lives, even in finance, which is like you would think as regulated as government is, um, well, by government, but we don't have to go to the bank anymore. And so when you think about the opportunity for technology and government, it's that same thing is you shouldn't have to wait in line to deposit a check, right? You shouldn't have to wait in line to do whatever you want to do with government. So that reminds me of things like the pothole reporting system that some cities use. Is that sort of aligned to the kind of thing you're talking about? Oh, it's way more than that. Uh, Yes and no. I mean, yeah. So lots of cities and more and more should automate the way in which people report graffiti and potholes and everything else they see in the city, right? That's what's called through on one. But there's way, way more than that that needs to be happen, right? People need to be able to do basically anything they transact with government, which is generally on paper, online. Is there a risk there? Like government is fundamentally slightly different than even the largest companies in that you know we have a, a, a mandate. We have to deal with government, I guess, or government has to deal with us. Do you worry about making government more technological and making it then less responsive to citizens who are either less technologically savvy or don't have access? Like my, this is a generational thing, but my father doesn't use an ATM machine and never has. He goes into banks. Like, do you worry about that kind of thing about serving some people at the expense of others? Yeah, I, it's a great question. I mean, I think that you know, equity and, and engagement, right, and making it, it universally easy, whatever that means for a person to. You know, either be part of a decision-making process or access government services. Um, I, you know, it's certainly something that's at the forefront of our minds and, and from you know our experiences. It's definitely on the minds of um, of cities around the country too. And, and so I think you have this probably this interim period where you do have to offer both, right? You have to do things online and you have to do things in person that are maybe for folks that are less comfortable or, or not as tech savvy. But I mean, having said that, we've been shocked sometimes. You know, I had a an 85-year-old man come up to me and say, hey, I, I love using your app. And I said, I, I can't believe you use the app. And he said, well, uh, my legs aren't good anymore and I can't get to council meetings. And so this is now how I provide input to the council, um, which I thought was awesome. So so it's, it's, it's not an either or. And that's, I think, the biggest thing that people need to understand. When we're talking about using new technology in government, it's not that we're going to delete everything else that's existed in the past. Is that we're adding something on top of it to make it easier for other people. So it's not either or, it's both and. 
So Alex, let me, if I can talk through an example of this, like my suburb recently had a town meeting to discuss whether they're going to repave and move some flood mitigation things on a street that I live that was going to affect a bunch of houses. Is that the kind of thing that like, so we all went to a big meeting and we had a big presentation and some people came and some people didn't, and they solicited commented from some people and some people didn't comment. Is that the kind of thing that, that that kind of feedback loop that Polko is designed to improve? And if so, like how would that go? How would that kind of engagement go in Polko? I'd say it's definitely a slice of what we do. You know, I, I guess the way that we think about it and the use cases that we see are, you know, we think about engagement and public input initially as starting out as sort of a very um, high level baseline level of, of performance and satisfaction. So maybe the city has sort of a standing annual question that says, hey, how are we doing on roads? And over time, they can track that and see, well, you know, this year we're a little bit lower, this year a little bit, we're a little bit better. And then they have the ability to follow up and say, well, we're doing a little bit worse this year than we were last year on roads, so let's see what's going on. Uh, maybe they, you know, ask for input or do a short survey on um, specifically the areas of the city where residents are having problems. Maybe there's some you know, additional snowfall and the, the roads got torn up or whatever it is. And eventually you kind of narrow it down and then you end up asking maybe a smaller group of people where the problem areas are, you know, what priorities you know, what, what should we prioritize in, in fixing this? And then, sure, maybe it gets down to a specific street. Uh, maybe it's a painting, maybe it's a pothole filling, whatever it is. But then the great part is, you know, at the end of that whole process, ideally now the next year, you're able to go back and look at those trend lines and say, hey, did did all those efforts pay off? Are we, are we back to where we should be in terms of, you know, general resident satisfaction with the quality of roads? Uh, so, yeah, I think that that feedback piece is definitely missing from current kind of engagement, at least in the kinds of uh, of things that I sort of experience on a regular basis. How do you balance the idea that everybody gets a voice with the idea that you'd want to prevent the loudest or most extreme voices from dominating that kind of conversation? Like what sort of things do you do or Abby, do you think can be done to manage that balance? I mean, from our perspective, the key is really to have a quantitative component of the input. You know, there's certainly situations when, you know, a, uh, a Facebook thread can have value or an email chain or, or whatever it is, but it's very hard in those cases to really let all voices kind of be heard in a way that's, you know, informative and civil. And so um, what we've done is really tried to structure everything in a way that, you know, allows for qualitative input and comment and, and discussions, but to always sort of provide that, um, that quantitative feedback as well. And, and in doing so, I think you sort of, you naturally have everyone on the same playing field because, you know, you're choosing from a suite of options or your ranking preferences um, or you're, you know, allocating a budget or, or whatever it is. And, and it's not the case that one person can, you know, answer louder than, than someone else. Uh, Abby, is, is there anything in the work that you do that, that touches on that tension or some way that you see of dealing with that? Not so much in the technology, but in the government side, I would just say at the end of the day, all of these input mechanisms, however we get feedback, they end up coming to a human. And that's the main thing is a human has to decide, does this make sense or does it not make sense? Right? So, I mean, I'm a huge fan of AI and uh, data analytics. I, in fact, teach it. But it only goes so far. And you need to have some person looking at this stuff saying, oh, wow, this person's just crazy. I mean, like, Noel is just, honestly, not someone I'm going to trust. Yeah, that's a good plan. 
Yeah, I, well, I, mean, I think that I, I mean, I certainly imagine that 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 small governments around the United States and the world have a fair amount of practice of dealing. Hey, with man, I'm sorry, uh, small governments. I it was Los Angeles, which is four million I, people. So I'm not okay. small. I, I meant, that's fine. Governments around the world already have mechanisms, I suppose, for dealing with people who write a lot of letters to the editor, so to speak. What is different? in building and designing software that's going to be used in a governmental context than one that's going to be used in a commercial context? That's a great question. And Alex, you should answer that first. And I have lots of thoughts on that. I mean, the way we think about it is there's there's two main components. One is that you need it to be accessible to people that probably wouldn't otherwise be super forward-leaning with technology. Um, it doesn't mean it has to be um, overly simple, but it just the, the, the stress on the the UI and the UX is just that much greater. The second thing is there's not a ton of tolerance for an MVP model product. Um, in, in some very innovative cities that um, are willing to be the beta testers, um, that's the, you know you certainly could get away with an MVP, and, and those are those cities are great because they're the reason that good products exist in the market. Uh, but by and large, the, the threshold above which you have to be to bring a product to market, I think, is generally just higher than it is. Uh, in the private sector. And that's to say nothing of the the data and the privacy constraints that I think are levied even higher in the in the public sector. So well, again, when I used to work for the city of Los Angeles, I was told by the chief security officer, the port of Los Angeles got 4 million DDoS attacks a day. Just the port. That seems like a lot. It's I'm a not lot. An expert. Yeah. <laughs> so some of these, you're saying some of these things are target in a way that a private sector thing might not be. Yeah, that's just support. Think about LAX. Right. And, and you know, there's been a wave of municipalities across the U.S. that have been hit by ransomware in the last yeah. couple months. So that's obviously, I would assume, a concern. <laughs> so, and, you know, honestly, what I'll tell you, Noel, is I think that means we need more people that are really talented and, you know, know what they're doing going to work for government. That's the only way we attack this, right? We can't like outsource this entirely. We have to have other people who are working really smartly to help solve this these problems. Uh, what are some cities or municipalities or whatever that you think are doing a really good job with this right now? I think New York, Boston, Chicago, LA, San Francisco. The thing is, you've got to find talent. Right. And Alex can say this just as a startup founder. Like at the end of the day, all that matters is talent. And the same thing goes for government. And government just needs more and more talent. And what's exciting is that a lot of people are now finding government an ex great place to go work where in the past they didn't. And I am hopeful that great talent will keep going to government as it has in the last five to seven years. Yeah, I, I totally agree that it's it's all about the people, the staff, the electives that are there. And, you know, I, I can't speak generally to the, the, the broader local government software, but certainly in the communications and engagement space, you know, we found some fantastic examples in, in communities that are, you know, not the top 10, 15. Round Rock, Texas, even, you know, Bar Harbor, Maine, super small town. You, they have people who just get it and they see where 
the world is going and they see where communication is going and where government needs to go accordingly. And they're able to, to steer their communities in the right way. But I, I, I agree. I think it so much of it comes down to the people. So what advice would you give somebody listening to this who's a technologist who really wants to get involved in government, uh, civic engagement, that kind of thing? Where, where can they go to get started? Where can they look? What, what, what should they do? So uh, can I um, generalize that question for a second? Sure. Yeah. So generally, I would say people who are in the technology space, and I am a technologist myself, it's really exciting to work in the public sector. You have an immediate impact on millions of people, maybe just thousands if you like are in a small city, or millions if you're in a big city. But you build things that actually affect real people's lives all the time. And that's amazing. Now, if you want to get started in this sector, there's a couple of different ways to do that. One is there's the Presidential Innovation Fellows Program, which takes about 30 or 40 so people every year. Code for America has a fellowship program that takes about the same number of people a year. But honestly, if you want to do this and you want to do it for your community, just email your mayor. And usually a mayor will say, this is great. I would love to have you. And that person will hire you and give you the autonomy to do what you want to do. I'll tell you, without naming the name of a city, there was a city that I was working with that was like, oh my God, after I explained all of this great stuff that you can do with technology, she's like, oh, I want to do all of this. I should have a CIO and a whole technology team. She didn't realize she already did have one. So there's a huge opportunity I also know that at least in some cities there are civic. Uh, there are you should look for meetups in a larger city. Um, Chicago at least used to have a data civic data. Yeah, Abby, what what happened to that? So there is still a. If you wanted to connect with other people, the best way to do that is with meetups. In Chicago, there's the Shy Hack Meetup, which is every I think Tuesday night. There's in every city different kinds of tech meetups that happen or just start your own. Cool. Is there something else that you want to tell us about working in the public sector or doing this kind of uh, work? I'll, I also say one thing kind of from the, you know, the, the product and, and tech side, the outside of the government side is, you know, I don't know that there's a more important challenge to take on, you know, for the whole host of reasons that we've talked about here from security to having an equitable engagement playing field to informing decisions to creating some form of data-driven governance. I mean, there, there's a any number of reasons to do it. And it's important to get good people because it's hard. I mean, it is really, the problems are very, very hard. You know, you're designing products that almost by definition need to be usable by everyone. And they need to be functional across the board. So there's certainly no shortage of problems to solve, but I think they're, they're fun ones to tackle. Cool. Where can people reach you if they want to learn more about this or continue this conversation? Uh, you can go to polco.us um, or feel free to email me at uh, alex at polco.us. Uh, you can email me at abi.noani at gmail.com. And then, uh, you know, I taught a course this past semester at UChicago, and I put all of my lectures online. 
So abinamani.com forward slash civic tech course. You can see all of the slides and presentations from the entire course there. Okay. And we'll have a link to that in our show notes. Well, um, thank you both for being on the show this week. I appreciate your time. (laughs) Happy to do it. Great to talk. Tech Done Right is available on the web at techdoneright.io, where you can learn more about our guests and comment on our episodes. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts, and if you like the show, tell a friend or your social media network or your boss or an enemy or whoever you want, or tell me. I really like to hear it when people like the show. Uh, And if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that really does help people find us. Tech Done Right is hosted by me, Noel Rappin. Our editor is Mandy Moore. You can find us on Twitter at Noel Rapp and at the Ruby Rep. Tech Done Right is produced by TableXI. TableXI is a custom design and software company in Chicago. We've been named one of Inc. Magazine's best workplaces, and we are a top-rated custom software development company on Clutch.co. You can learn more about working with or working for TableXI at TableXI.com or follow us on Twitter at TableXI. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode of Tech Done Right. Right.